congregations in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Uh, and what I do is I'm involved in the uh, education of the leaders of those, those congregations. Okay. Uh, how does that fit into the larger picture of what Go is trying to do? What, what, are, they, what are they all about? That's a good question. One of the, one of the reasons that Josanne and I, my wife and I, are, are involved in Go Ministries is we really believe in, first of all, the breadth of the ministry, the, the number of different things that we're involved in, but also our strategy. Uh, we work through local congregations and we work through national leaders, that is, Dominican leaders and Haitian leaders uh, in, their, in their particular communities. The broad areas of ministry we're involved in are things like uh, uh, medical clinics, uh, nutrition centers, uh, but also in, in terms of um, empowering the, the local congregations to be stronger and to be able to reach their communities with the gospel. Uh, and so we really believe in that, in that kind of a model. Uh, the way I fit in is that I help uh, it, give the, the local leaders what they need in order to be able to be good leaders in their communities and the churches. Excellent. So why, I mean, you were a teacher, professor for how many years? Uh, well, 10 years full-time okay. at Lincoln, uh, okay. about 13 years total. Okay, so why after teaching for so long did you decide, to, where was the call at for you? Oh, that, that's a very good question. It happens in, in several stages. I'd been going down for a week or two at a time uh, to teach in the Dominican Republic and Haiti uh, for a period of about six years. Uh, and uh, a few years back, I guess it's been three and a half years ago now, uh, Go Ministries asked me to think about coming on full-time. And I said, absolutely not. There's no way I could do that. Uh, my wife was pretty well convinced that God was calling us into that kind of ministry, but uh, I just didn't think I could do it. And um, what really was the final call for us was just seeing how uh, uh, hungry uh, the leaders of the congregations there were for the word of God and knowing that, you know, there are many people who could, who could teach, but that I was willing to go and that we were willing to leave behind what we, we had here and, and to do that full time. Uh, I guess it was our willingness and the need. Those two things intersecting really called our hearts and God began pulling on our hearts strongly uh, and, and began showing us that this is where he wanted us to serve full time. Well, the, I grew up going to the Dominican Republic in yeah. Haiti um, on mission trips when I was in high school, and uh, I know it has a, a near and dear place in my heart. What are some prayer needs for, for you and Josanna specifically slash for Haiti and, and the sure. Dominican Republic as a whole? Well, there, there are a lot to mention. I'll just mention two that are kind of immediate needs. Uh, one is there's, there's a little boy that we've been working with for some period of time. His name's Wilson. Uh, and you can follow this on our website, or if you're Facebook friends with, with Go Ministries, you can follow this. But Wilson's needed some very serious surgery for some period of time. Uh, and we finally, uh, in the last month, have been able to get him a visa to the United States to get him the medical treatment that he needs. So he and his mother are in Louisville now receiving uh, the medical treatment we've arranged with the hospital and the doctor to provide their services for free. And so he's finally getting, after nine years of his life, he's getting the, the medical attention that he needs so prayer there would be for homesickness for him and for his mother and also that the medical treatments are, 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 are well. Uh, for Josanne and I, it's a time of transition because by this time next year, we'll be full-time on the field. Uh, and so I think our prayer concerns, if you really want to remember Josanne and I particularly, it's just remember us uh, in this time of transition, um, you know, everything that has to go with, uh, with uh, moving house and with... Uh, uh, getting everything that we need to, to be ready to be on the field. So I would, I would appreciate prayers for that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. Remember, check out his Sunday school class um, after, after the service. Um, let, me, let me just pray for you.
Uh, Father, um, thank you so much for uh, for Brian and Josanna and uh, just for their ministry to the Dominican Republic in Haiti. Um, God, I know um, that they're doing some great things down there. Um, I've seen some of it firsthand, and uh, and it's just incredible, God, the the need and the desire, God, for your word. And would you just continue to, to be with them and their ministry? God, would you energize them as they um, get ready to go full-time and make that transition? Uh, would you just ignite that passion, God, in their hearts uh, to spread your name and your word. Uh, God, thank you um, just for this, uh, this opportunity, God, that he can come and share with us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be home. I'm going to be uh, opening up in First uh, Peter this morning, if you want to turn there, First Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be looking through, uh, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> and this is uh, a passage of scripture that God kind of got a hold of me on, and uh it started speaking to me, and so hopefully he's going to speak to you this morning, too. Um, hopefully, I'm not going to end up on a soapbox, but there's a real good possibility of that. So if I do, just forgive me for that. Uh, but when we want to break in. Does this one work? All right. So let's read. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. 
So this morning, I just want to take some time and kind of break through this, and I'll be honest, now that I know there is a uh, Bible college professor in the audience, I am a little nervous, so hopefully he won't come up to me afterwards and critique, well, that wasn't really right. Just pretend like it was, and I'll get my point across. So I think, I think it is right. I did a lot of study on this, but I'm really nervous now that there is a Bible college professor sitting in the audience. Um, what I want to do, there's some things in here that jumped out to me, and uh I just want to share those with you this morning. And so we're going to start um, here in the first four verses of this passage, starting in verse 8 through 12. Peter calls us to live in harmony. He starts a passage with a reminder to us as Christians uh, to have that same mind. That is to love one another with a deep love. And I think Peter was trying to tell us, I mean, we're supposed to love as Christians, to love each other with a real deep brotherly love. To not to go after those that do wrong to us, right, but to, to bless those who do wrong to us. And it's a real foreign concept. And I think in the church, in the early church, and even today, for us, is a really hard concept to think about doing good to those who would do bad to us. Right? And that, the same concept that Jesus preached about and talked about is the same concept that Peter's trying to get across to them and to us now. Is that we're to seek out and do good to those who would harm us, to bless them rather than to allow the, the wrong they do to us, not to repay that. Here in verses 10 through 13, Peter's quoting a text right out of Psalms, uh, chapter 34. And he wants to bring out a point here. I think he does it on purpose. Uh, He quotes this, obviously does it on purpose, but he pulls out this passage from Psalms to remind us that in order to love life and to have good days in them as Christians, that we have to put the things of the world that we sometimes get caught up in, the things that are surrounding us all the time, the pressures that are on us, we have to put those aside. You know, he lists a couple. He says, turning from evil, not to do the things that the world would have you to do, but turn towards good. And then he says a couple things here that really jumped out to me. He mentions that we have to seek peace and pursue it. And so this word peace really, really stuck out to me. And this word peace, when I looked it up, it literally means to be free, to have a freedom from worry. Right? So Peter's telling us you need to have a life that's free from worry. Right? Don't worry about all the stuff that's going on all around you, the pressures that the world would put on you, the things that people say, the things that people are doing to you. Live a life that's free from those worries. And then this next word, the word pursue here, that he says it means to strive for a purpose. So Peter's telling, the, telling us, telling the early church, you need to live a life that's free from worry and full of purpose. Right? One, of the, one of the big code words in the church today is missional. I don't know, especially in the church planning world. And I've, uh, I go to conventions sometimes for Casas Por Cristo and get to attend those. And one of the big things, we always go to one of the big church planning conventions down in Florida every year to put up our booth and try and get uh, churches to come and build with us. And one of the big words that they're using right now is missional. They're missional communities. And really what that means, it's kind of a frustrating word to me because what, what some of those guys are telling us is we're not coming on a mission trip. Because they're really community-oriented, really just focused inward on their community, which there's nothing wrong with that. But that word missional, I think, sometimes gets misused and misunderstood because it literally means to be about the work of Christ, right? To be about the work of Christ. And so Peter here is calling us uh, to live a life free from worry and full of purpose, to be on mission, to be about the work of Christ, to seek a life free from the worries of this world, and instead fill it with purpose want to serve in our Lord and Savior, to be about his business. 
So as Christians, we have to strive for that life of freedom from worries, freedom from all the things that the world would put on us. I think in the early church, free, he wanted them to get focused away from all the people that were trying to pull them down to keep them from following Christ. I think it's true of us today, too, to an extent. We need to live a life free from those things that the world would put on us that keep our Christianity bottled up, to keep our faith in Christ bottled up. And I think Peter was telling them this because he was getting them prepared for this next passage, this next part of the scripture. Find a life that you can be free from the worries of all this stuff that's going on around you, full of purpose, be missional, be on the work of Christ, and get ready because I have some other things to tell you. So then we find the next part here. He tells them, if you look at verses 13 and 14. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Right? He's telling them, be ready. Because it's possible that you could suffer. And the suffering here... I mean, literally, that word just means to endure and experience, right? But it's not, it's not the suffering I think sometimes that we as Christians, especially in the American church, think of as suffering. Because for us, a lot of times, suffering is when we lose a loved one. You know, that's, we suffer through that. It's a painful time in our life when we undergo economic hardships, when we undergo the pressures that are on us here in America. We think of that as suffering. This is not the suffering that Peter speaks of here. The suffering that Peter speaks of here is the suffering that comes from being bold in your proclamation of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for your life. Peter's trying to prepare them and get them ready to stand up for their faith, right? Live a life free from worry with purpose because it's possible that you could suffer for it. And he wants them to be ready to be able to put all that away from them so that they can boldly go out and speak the name of Christ. I have to refer back to my uh, computer here because I only travel now with a uh, pocket Bible, and I'm turning 40 on Wednesday. Some of you out there may not believe, but I am. I find it hard to believe myself. But when I got the pocket Bible out the other day to start reading in it, I realized I can't read this. It's too small. So there you go. So we're going to read out of Romans chapter 8 this morning, I want to I want to refer there real quickly, uh, verse 18. That's a pretty, pretty uh, popular passage, one that you'll probably recognize, but this is what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's Paul. If anybody knew about suffering, I think it was him, who said that the sufferings that he's undergoing, the sufferings that we as Christians undergo are not worthy to even be compared with the glory. The glory he's talking about is Christ that is revealed in us through those sufferings, through the things that happen to us. We're encouraged here in 1 Peter and by Paul to stay strong in our faith despite opposition and that possibility of suffering. See, Peter worded it as, even if you should, even if you should. Peter was trying to say, it's probably not really likely that you're going to. You're not going to undergo the same kind of suffering that maybe a Paul would. We're not going to have that. And I think it's really true for us in America today. I mean, we're blessed. We live in a place, they sang about it this morning, a beautiful song, that we live in a place where we're free. 
and we have a freedom to come here on a Sunday morning and gather together and worship, and it's not likely that we are going to suffer for our faith. But Peter says, even if you should, be ready. Right? I had a friend uh, not too long ago who, uh, who tweeted, I don't know how many of you guys in here are familiar with Twitter, I know there's a few, uh, but I tweet every now and then, I'm a Twitter follower, I have people I follow on Twitter, and I see I've lost a lot of people, I know I lost Kent when I said Twitter. It's a form of social media. Can't it's on the computer. So, but this is what he said. This is what he and I and I and I googled. I followed up by googling it to make sure that he was the one that said it. So some of you out there may not know what that is either. But can't can't can teach you after service. This is what he said. This is a direct quote from a friend of mine that he tweeted. And I think he tweeted this out of frustration, but I found it to be really true, and it stuck with me. And this is what he said. He said instead of worshiping the God who protects us. We have made safety a God, and we worship it. And then he followed that out up with hashtag, don't be scared to serve. And it stuck with me, and it rang true. I think he's on our staff at Casas Por Cristo, and he, he tweeted that out of frustration. Because over the last several years with uh, the violence and the stuff that's happening in Mexico, and uh, it's been more and more frustrating every year to try and get teams to come and to build with us and to serve with us and to... Um, you know, 2007, we built 405 homes in one location, uh, being able to reach every one of those homes with the gospel message through the pastors that we partner with. You know, this year we're going to build about 160, and uh, 90% of that is a direct reflection of the violence that's happening there. And so he's frustrated. A lot of us are frustrated. We want groups to come. We want people to come because it's how we do ministry. It's the partnership between the churches here and the pastors there and our ministry that we can get in and build a home for a family who's desperately in need and open a door for the gospel to go through. And he was frustrated, and he, and he tweeted that. He said, instead of worshiping the God who protects us, we've made safety a God, and we worship it. We've put up a wall, I think, here in our country. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave. We can come into this church and sit down on Sunday morning and have worship. And we don't have to be scared to serve here because our country is safe. When 9-11 happened, it was a tragedy for sure. But it was something that for us, it was, it was a violation to a point of something that we had never seen on our, on our soil before. But countries around the world deal with that stuff on a regular basis. We live in a place where we have made safety a God and we begin to worship it more than we worship and stand out and want to strive to go out and tell people about our faith. I also found this quote that I really liked, and this is what it says. Some of you may know who said it. This man said this, said, No man is worth his salt who is not ready at all times to risk his well-being to risk his body, to risk his life in a great cause. Theodore Roosevelt said that. Of course, he was talking about freedom of this country and uh, keeping it that way. But I thought it really applied here for us as Christians because no man is worth his salt who is not ready at all times. No Christian is worth his salt who is not ready at all times to risk his well-being, to risk his body, to risk his life for the greatest cause, the cause of Christ, the one who gave us, right, the thing, that, the thing that's been firing me up lately is that I'm, I'm having to re- realize and remember, even in my own self, that the same God who transformed me 
right, in the waters of baptism uh, when I came to Christ was the same God who transformed Paul on the road to Damascus, who turned that man's life 180 degrees around, who began then after persecuting Christians, stepped out and said, I love, I love this Jesus so much that I don't care what everyone else says that I'm going to serve you, that I'm going to go to prison and be beaten, to sit and write letters for us to read today. We've been called not just to, to sit in the pews and the churches that we attend in a place that is safe, but to step out in our faith and to go to the places in this world where people don't know who Christ is. And that doesn't mean Mexico, although that's the soapbox I'd like to climb up on, to come to, to Casas Por Cristo and build a home so the family can hear about Christ. But that means the neighbor who lives next door to you, who you're afraid to go and knock on the door and invite them to church and tell them about your faith because you're afraid of what they're going to say to you. It's about your friend who you work with that you know doesn't know Christ, but instead of saying anything to them, you allow them to continue to behave and act the way that they do day after day instead of calling on the carpet to it and sharing them the, the faith that you have. Because we're scared to suffer for the name of Christ, because we're scared to go outside of that box that we put up around ourselves and tell people about who this Christ is who supposedly has transformed us and changed us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Right, that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear that gets instilled in us, that's not God. But we allow it to overcome us and keep us from doing the things that he's called us to do. To live a life free of worry and full of purpose. Peter goes on to tell us in verse 15 that we have to remember that Christ is Lord. That when we endure the suffering, when we endure hardships in this life in the name of Christ, that we have to remember that he is still Lord and that he's in control, that he's still on his throne, and that all the suffering is tempered through the love that God has for us. Then later in the latter part of verse 15 and 16 there, he, Peter tells us to remain hope-filled and willing to explain, to explain why we are still positive about the life that we're living in Christ. Romans 5, 1 through 6 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And that suffering that we, that we could undergo in stepping out and following Christ is the suffering that produces the perseverance that we need to make it to the end of the race and to be able to share that hope with other people. Now, I've been told uh, by somebody in my family that I am an irresponsible husband and father. <laughs> Everyone in here already knew that, but for another reason. I'm an irresponsible husband and father because I live on the border 
and take my family into Mexico and that I should quit doing that and move back to Illinois or Indiana or wherever they would have me live. And I mean, I just told him, your responsibility is for me to have learned all the things that you taught me growing up and to have a faith in my Lord Jesus Christ that I would know that what he has called me to do and I do not do it. That is your responsibility. And I propose to you today that in many times in our lives we have been irresponsible with the call that God has given to us because we are fearful of suffering for his name. We can't let the suffering and the potential for suffering drive us from serving God. See, Christ knew the suffering he would endure, and yet he still died for us. There's a lot of ministries uh, throughout Mexico and throughout uh, Latin America right now that are shutting their doors, that are pulling out. I mean, Juarez alone uh, used to be one of the most popular places for uh, ministries and missionaries, short-term groups to go because it was easy access to the United States. They could drive there uh, in a day's time and they could cross that border. I mean, First Christian, we used to do it here uh, for years, and that's how I got involved uh, with Casas Por Cristo. But a lot of those ministries have closed their doors simply because of the fear of something happening. They've pulled out. Their boards are telling them, you can't go there anymore. You can't be there. You need to move to another location. You need to find a new place of ministry. We talk to groups every day that tell us all the time, and we people, individuals, we love, we love your ministry. We love that place. I had a conversation with someone the other day. I love Mexico, but we just can't go there right now. It's where I feel like I'm supposed to go and serve, but it's just too dangerous. We've allowed the fear of the possibility of suffering to overcome us to the point that we're not willing to go. And because of that, people are losing hope. I want to share, I want to share a letter with you for encouragement that I received not too long ago. I came across on our uh, at qu- questions at Casas Por Cristo email address that come to my, come to my computer. And uh, this is what it says. It says, I don't have a question. I have a comment. My name is Juan Manuel Munoz. I found your website on the Internet. I'm currently a law student in Tyler, Texas. I want to say to you guys how thankful I am with you and with God for having people like you in the world. I was five years old when a group of Casas Por Cristo came to our community and built a house for us. My family still has pictures from when they went. I remember I got a bag of Skittles from a lady that worked in our house. Right now, looking back on those days when we were needy and poor, I feel that God sent those people to help us. They were so kind and generous. I'm writing this email with tears in my eyes. God is my witness. Thank you so much for what you guys did. God bless you. He goes on to say that he will donate money soon so that some other family can have a home like he received. See, this, this young man, it, it's not about a home, right? Hopefully everyone here knows that's not what our ministry is about. It is not about a house. It is about Juan Manuel knowing and receiving Jesus Christ. It is about his family getting the help they need. And now this young man's attending law school in Tyler, Texas because of what Casas Por Cristo was able to provide because of groups like First Christian Church that come and build homes. They, were, they instilled in him a hope for the future, a hope in Christ that he wouldn't have had. We cannot allow the fear of suffering for the name of Christ to overcome us to the point and keep us 
from doing what he knows he's called us to do. Peter also reminds us in verse 18 to remember it's better to suffer for doing good than if we were suffering because we had committed some, some wrong. You know, one of the things that's really strange, but it's such a powerful truth about our faith, is that in our faith, the victim is the victor and the persecuted the triumph. In our faith, those Christ was persecuted and beaten, but he was the triumphant one when he overcame death. And rose again. And a lot of times I think we forget. We don't ever forget the fact. But I think we forget the passion that is supposed to instill in us. To know that our Lord died for us and rose again. So just as Christ died for us to bring us into a relationship with God. We have to remember that while we suffer in the name of Christ. Those sufferings can, will, and are being used to bring others into a saving relationship with Jesus. We have to remember that Christ is Lord. I work every day in Mexico or now in Guatemala too. And I oftentimes forget that he transformed me the same way that he transformed Paul. That the God who healed and did miracles lives in me. That I think that we get so locked in to who we are as Christians and so inward focused sometimes that we forget that the same God who did the things in those guys that we read about in scripture lives in us. That he transformed us the same miraculous way that he transformed Paul. That the same God who pulled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire can protect us if he wants to. And can take us home, whether we're sitting in Clinton, Illinois, or whether we're in Chicago, or whether we're in the Dominican Republic, or whether we're in Guatemala, or whether we're in name any place. Then when it's his will, it's going to be his will. But one thing we have to remember as Christians is the fear of what may be cannot keep us from doing what he has called us to do. I don't know where you're at today where you are in your relationship with Christ. I know we're coming to the point now where we want to offer an invitation for you. And maybe you're, maybe you're not walking the way that God wants you to. Maybe you're not walking in a life that you've been transformed by the power that lives uh, in a lot of people that sit in this room. Maybe you haven't been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that blood is powerful. He transformed Paul. He transformed me. He transformed a lot of the faces that I look out here and see today. And it's that call that he's putting on each and every one of our lives to come into a relationship with him so that we can live a life where we boldly go and tell people about who he is. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father God, we just want to thank you today uh, because you've called us to a life full of purpose, to be missional, to be about the work of your son sharing the hope that he gives to us the grace that he poured out upon us the mercy and because of that we need to boldly go into our neighborhoods into our communities and into the world to tell people about who your son is help us not to be fearful about what may happen or what may be 
but to live in the knowledge that your son died for us. It's in your son Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me today in family. I think you have a display back there, so we'll let you go back there and greet people as they come out. After you go by that display and then you turn and then you go on your way to the Bible school class, you go up to the Family Life Center and buy a book for Angel. By the way, the young lady, who is it that's in charge of Angel Tree here? Leslie, is that you? Just announced we only have five angels left in our angel tree that haven't been taken where Sue Coward says we're always the biggest church that takes more so you can pick those up today five left on our tree then you can go right up and buy them a book isn't that tremendous and then you can go to Sunday school class and we're going to find out all the answers you ever all the questions you ever had about the book of Revelation will be answered in 60 minutes unbelievable unbelievable let's pray